Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Roseland. This podcast will teach you to acquire superhuman mental abilities and hack your reality. In this episode, we explain the essential mental function of neuroplasticity and how to increase it. which falls more under the category of brain power than life hacks. So this is actually a first episode on brain power. Really, really interesting subject, which I'm, I'm learning a lot about, and it's really cool. Before we get into that, I'd like to give some shout-outs to our international listeners. We have new listeners in South Africa, Mexico, and Belgium. So 
thank you for listening. We really appreciate you listening to us. We have just over 5,000 downloads of the podcast now, which is pretty cool. We, I'm not sure if that's good, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty happy with that number. So thank you so much for listening. And John is in Costa Rica for this episode, and I'm in Colorado. So the way we're doing it is we're both just recording our parts, and then we're going to stitch it together. And so I apologize if you notice some differences or if it sounds a little weird, but John will be back shortly, and it'll go back to the normal level of audio engineering that you've come to expect from this show. So let's get started. So this episode has kind of been produced in a funky way. As you can probably hear in the background with the cricket noises, I'm still actually in a rainforest in Central America. And the thing about rainforests is that we do not get the highest bandwidth speeds in rainforests. So me and Woody were not able to use Skype at a high enough quality that we thought it would be enjoyable for our listeners. So what we've actually done with this episode is I'm researching and recording my part of the episode separately, and then Woody's researching and recording his part of the episode, and then we're going to mash them together. So if at moments, if it sounds like a poorly dubbed kung fu movie, that's why. Today, we are talking about neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is a really important concept to grasp for anyone that wants to become limitless. For those of you who aren't neuroscientists, the definition of neuroplasticity is the ability of your brain to grow and adapt and change based upon the needs and the things that your brain needs to do frequently. So, you may have heard when you were younger, you may have heard it from your parents, you may have heard it from figures of authority that once you kill your brain cells, they never come back. This is actually completely untrue and has been disproven through a number of studies and scientific experiments. Your brain has an amazing ability to regrow and redevelop and to further evolve different areas of it that you are putting higher and higher demands on. And this is called neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity has several widely recognized forms, which are learning, memory, and recovery from brain damage. So the one, as limitless individuals, we are most interested in increasing our learning ability, our ability to pick up new skills faster and better, along with improving our memory. And neuroplasticity is the chemical process that's occurring at the cellular level and at the molecular level in your brain that allows for this to happen. So we're very interested in understanding a little bit more about it and trying to figure out ways of making the neuroplasticity happen faster and better than it does normally. For example, I want to give uh, one of the studies I mentioned. In 1998, a landmark study was conducted where they went to taxi drivers 
in London, actually. And they went and studied the average size of the hippocampus of the taxi drivers in London. Now the hippocampus is the area of the brain in charge of basically figuring out directions and figuring out spatial intelligence. So as anyone that's ever been to London knows, it can be a pretty confusing place to get around. So the London taxi drivers consistently had larger hippocampuses than the London bus drivers that consistently followed the same route. Another cool example of neuroplasticity is a phenomenon called human echolocation. So anyone who's watched the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet has probably seen programs about how bats and dolphins can navigate and communicate using a form of sonar or echolocation. And in 2010 and 2011, there was a scientific study done by the University of Western Ontario on people who had the echolocation ability. And these were people who were blind and that they demonstrated in this study that they could navigate, navigate through crowded streets in cities that they were not familiar with. They could navigate through unknown environments. They could actually do mountain biking and other spatially demanding activities. They also did tests where they put objects in front of these people that they were blind so they could obviously not see them and they couldn't feel them either and they use their echolocation ability to determine the dimensions and the angles of these objects that were placed in front of them and these people were interesting what they would do is that they would make clicking noises for echolocation so kind of like a type of noises, almost similar to like the kind of noises you would hear a dolphin making. And so neuroplasticity is the faculty that's coming into play here where it's repurposing the parts of their brains that usually are devoted to processing visual signals from our eyes and you know that a normal person like me and you cannot use echolocation but these people's brains have repurposed that part of the mind to take these echolocations that they're hearing through their ears and to create 3D environments so that these people can can navigate around like like people that have brains which is I think really fascinating and uh, and mind-blowing so a man named Michael Mersnick who's a neuroscientist who's been one of the pioneers of brain plasticity for over three decades said that brain exercises may be as useful as drugs to treat diseases as severe as schizoph schizophrenia Plasticity exists from cradle to the grave and the radical improvement in cognitive functioning, how we learn, think, perceive, and remember are possible even in the elderly. Now, in the beginning of this podcast, in our very first episode, we told you that we would devote a little bit of time to talking about personal development or self-help type subject matter. But we preface that by saying that we were going to keep it very scientific 
and actionable whenever we covered that kind of material. This is one of those episodes. Neuroplasticity is essentially the chemical process of self-help because neuroplasticity is the ability for you to change your brain into whatever you really want it to be. I've got a quick phrase for you to remember that captures the chemical process of it. Here's the phrase. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Neurons that fire apart, wire apart. And that little phrase captures the concept of synaptic pruning, which is that if you have two neurons in your brain that are taking care of different things and those neurons are firing simultaneously if that happens frequently they are going to begin to build a strong connection between the two of them and this is where you see that in your life you have similar patterns that are occurring so just remember next time you're facing a challenge and you feel like it's a challenge that you've been through before remember that phrase neurons that fire together wire together and neurons that fire apart, wire apart. And so a lot of times as you're facing challenges, what you need to do is just actively and consciously make decisions to do something different than what you normally do. And at first this is going to feel awkward and it might not get you any results at all. But if you practice it with consistency, those neurons that are creating the emotions and creating these circumstances that you're dealing with are going to begin to unwire themselves and wire themselves in the way that you want them to do. There are some people out there that have some some good criticisms of the whole world of self-help and personal development, but the fact that neuroplasticity occurs in our brain is scientific evidence that it is worthwhile to spend some time developing yourself into the kind of person that you want to be. Some of you may have heard before that you only use 5 to 10% of your brain at any given time. Now this is really untrue. This is actually just something that people say when they want to sound smart. And the concept of neuroplasticity, well, I'm sorry, not the concept, but the reality of neuroplasticity has completely disproved this. In fact, Michael Merzenich said that the brain does not waste any cortical real estate. No one man should have all that power. No one man should have In the 2011 movie Limitless, the main character takes a clear pill which endows superhuman mental abilities which allow for him to become a master communicator, creative genius, and a wealthy, powerful businessman virtually overnight. While the movie and the drug in it are fictional, there certainly are real-life supplements that can significantly enhance your brain power, memory, and cognitive abilities. If you are committed to reaching your greatest potential, you are definitely going to want to check out the marketplace of brain power products and supplements on LimitlessMindset.com.
This marketplace is built with ratings and review software that allows you to see what brain power supplements and products are creating the most powerful results for other members of the Limitless Mindset community. Go to LimitlessMindset.com backslash marketplace today to find the neurotropic supplement or brain power product that is right for you. So I don't believe I've shared this on the show yet, but last year in June, I had my left leg amputated due to bone cancer. And at first, it was, it just kind of sucked to lose your leg, but it quickly it quickly became really, really interesting. And it was a fascinating experience seeing how the brain dealt with losing a leg. And there was actually a lot, a lot of things that happened that I, I mean, I had no idea. I found out four days before that I had to have my leg amputated. So it was really quick. And so I didn't have a whole lot of time to concentrate or think about it beforehand. But there, there was, it was really, really an interesting experience. And one of the one of the most interesting things that happened was the phantom phantom limb sensations and phantom limb pains. So for those of you that don't know what phantom limb pain is or phantom limb sensations, it's where you can still feel your leg, so it still feels like it's attached to your body, which is pretty strange. Like for me personally, it it I could still feel it right now. And it always feels like it's bent at like a 90 degree angle. So like I'm sitting at a chair and I can't move it like no matter like how much I like think or, you know, like flex the muscles or try and use my brain. Like I can't I can't move my leg at all. So it's kind of frozen in place and I can't move the toes either, which is which is kind of weird. And the phantom limb pain is. For me personally, it's it's different for everybody, and some people never even deal with phantom pain. But for me, whenever I have phantom limb pain, it feels like someone's screwing, like has a screwdriver in the ball of my foot and just kind of like digging it in. And so when you're walking around during the day, doing stuff, talking to people, you don't really notice the phantom limb pains because your mind is so active and you're have so many other inputs from all your other senses but when you go to bed and you're just lying there and you're still and you're quiet you're relaxed then there's like nothing to distract you from and so then that's when it can get pretty bad which can get really frustrating and so I dealt with that for a couple months before we were able to find a good medication to work on phantom limb pains on my phantom limb pains uh so it's it's interesting actually the medication that I take that made them go away completely was an antidepressant a really low low level of an antidepressant which is interesting and i get an antidepressant out of the deal too so win-win right but it's interesting because no one actually knows why phantom limb pains happen it's they know they do but they can't nobody can say definitively this is why it happens there's a couple interesting theories on why limb pains happen one is that the brain operates on feedback, that everything we do is just to give feedback to the brain. And when you lose a limb, it, it, sends, it sends these pain signals to try and get feedback because it knows that there should be a leg there. And so 
it sends these pain signals saying, hey, leg, what's going on down there? Like, give me, uh, you haven't, you haven't called in months, leg. Like, what's going on? So it sends these pain signals and hoping for some feedback. Like, have you ever, I'm sure some of you out there can relate, you've sprained your ankle, you've hurt your wrist, and when you get an MRI or something and you have to keep it still and you can't move it, then the pain goes from like bad to terrible. And so it's kind of the same principle that the body's trying to get some feedback to find out what's going on with this hurt part of your body. And so it sends the pain signals to to warn you to do all these different things so that you know that you're in pain and that you're hurting. But when it's not there, it just kind of freaks out a little bit and the brain's not really sure how to how to handle that. Another interesting thing that I've heard that might be happening with phantom limb sensation and pains is that the brain has all this muscle or all this synapses and pathways dedicated entirely to you know this left leg and for 21 years I was running jumping doing all that stuff on the leg building muscle memory and then when it's not there there's this entire section of the brain which was devoted to this leg and so now it just kind of freaks out and it sends it sends pain signals to like check on it to be like is is anything going on i have all this I have all this information here do you do you need this information are we going to do anything with this like what's going on give me give me a heads up so phantom phantom limb pains are pretty interesting and uh also another another side effect of being an amputee uh, one thing that was really interesting was the spatial awareness of not having a leg because you just know that underneath your thigh is a calf and a foot and it's just there and so when you do stuff you have to make sure that your you know calf and foot don't run into stuff and so when for the first time I remember I was sitting at a couch and someone had like a broom or something and they were going to put it or it wasn't a broom it was something like that and they were going to put it underneath underneath my feet and so this this object went where my leg should have gone and I didn't move my leg because I knew that it wasn't going to hit anything and so when I was like holding this thing and I carried it through where my leg should have been my brain like did this double take and was like what just happened there like that shouldn't have worked it it you, that should have hit something like and that was like just like this like weird feeling in my brain that like something was off when I did that which was it, you know it surprised me and I was like whoa what just happened here like I feel all weird now because that went there you know so it really really interesting experience becoming an amputee I hope that none of you ever have to deal with it but if if you do it's truthfully not as terrible as you would think and it's kind of interesting so what i've also found very consistently throughout my research on neuroplasticity is that there's a very high correlation between exercise specifically aerobic exercise 
and maintaining or increasing your neuroplasticity. Exercise results in more brain cells being created in the hippocampus area, which is crucial for learning and memory. So let me give you a couple of the case studies and uh, scientific references behind this. In 2006, Calcombe and colleagues randomly assigned 59 older adults to either a cardiovascular exercise group or an anaerobic exercise control group. So the anaerobic group was doing like stretching and toning exercises. The participants exercised for three hours per week for six months. And the scientists conducting this scanned the participants' brains before and after the training period. After six months, the brain volume of the aerobic exercise group increased in several areas compared to the other group. And the volume increase occurred principally in the front and temporal areas of the brain, which is involved in what's called executive control and memory processes. Now, they suspected, based upon animal research, that the blood volume changes were due to increased number of blood vessels that had occurred in the brain, as well as increased number of connections between the neurons. Another study here in 2003, Colcombe and Kramer analyzed the results of 18 different scientific studies. And these studies were done with groups of people that were assigned exercises and people not assigned exercises. It's important to understand here with these scientific studies where they were analyzing this, that what they didn't do was they didn't go to a group of people that had consistently exercised prior to the study and then do brain scans on them and then gone to a group of people that had consistently not exercised and done brain scans on them because understandably those two groups of people would have very different lifestyles. So what they did was they took random groups of people and they said, okay, this group of people start exercising, this group of people start doing anaerobic stuff, and this group of people, I guess, sit on your couches and watch TV and don't do anything. And then three months later, six months later, they did brain scans on these groups of people. And what they found with a high degree of consistency was that the people that were doing the aerobic exercise we're getting uh, we're getting the increases in neuroplasticity in 2001 Lauren and colleagues even suggested that moderate and high levels of physical activity were associated with lower risk of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. So um, definitely for people that are aging, that are getting into that 55 and up age group, it's very important to uh, stay active with your aerobic exercise. The Wikipedia article gave a reference in 2009, a study with rats and navigating mazes. And Xiaoyang J. Zhen, a professor of physiology and author of the study said that our results support the notion that different forms of exercise induce neuroplasticity changes in different brain regions. So something that these studies consistently said is that aerobic exercise is 
much better for neuroplasticity than anaerobic exercise. So if you remember back to your gym class uh, vocabulary, the aerobic exercise is things like running, that's going to be your martial arts, your dancing, your cardiovascular activities. Your anaerobic stuff is going to be the activities like, you know, weightlifting, or they could be things where you're making, you know, very quick bursts of energy. Um, so it's very important for people that are concerned with increasing and maintaining their neuroplasticity to get in, you know, 45 minutes at least three times a week of aerobic activity. Now, some of you might be wondering, is physical activity, is this aerobic physical activity more effective for increasing neuroplasticity or are mental exercises and software and these different, you know, mental and cognitive training things more effective for increasing and maintaining neuroplasticity? Now, some scientists have studied this, as you can imagine, and this is what they have found, is that the cognitive and the mental exercises on performance seem to be very task specific. So this means that if you are doing some specific exercises, training your brain to do one thing, you're going to get some good increases specific to that type of activity, but that they don't transfer that well to other types of activity. So let's say, for example, you've got a guy who's a engineer, and so he wants to have the very best uh, spatial intelligence possible. So he starts, you know, using some software or whatever that's training him to increase his spatial intelligence. That's going to definitely increase his spatial intelligence, but it might not increase his short-term memory quite as much. Whereas physical exercise seems to have a broader effect on your overall neuroplasticity and your overall mental performance. And they said that the, the benefit is mostly tasks that involve executive control components. So that is tasks that require planning, working memory, multitasking, and resistance to distraction. So that's interesting. So if you are looking to increase your neuroplasticity and increase your cognitive abilities in the areas of tasks that require planning, working memory, multitasking, and resistance to distracting, then you're probably going to want to spend and focus more of your time on the cardiovascular exercise versus the uh, mental and cognitive training. Now in 2009, or no, I'm sorry, in 1999, Faber and colleagues, a group did a study on this, and so they randomly assigned subjects to four different groups. There was an aerobic training group that was doing the running and the walking. There was a memory training group. There was a combined aerobic and memory training group together, and then there was a control group that wasn't doing any, any stuff. Those were the people that were just sitting on the couch watching TV. So results show that the, uh, that the three groups... Uh, had better increases over the control group, so that's good. Um, and they showed that the group that was combined doing memory training and physical training had greater increases than the two other groups. So 
the lesson that we can take away from this is that if we want to become limitless, we need to be doing both things. We need to be doing the cognitive training, the mental exercises, and then we also need to be making sure that we are getting in three hours of uh, cardiovascular exercise every single week to increase and keep the, the maximum neuroplasticity. So one really important thing that can help build neuroplasticity is playing a musical instrument. I actually play three musical instruments. I play the guitar, uh, a little bit of the piano, and I used to play the trumpet all the time. And studies have shown that when you play a musical instrument, it helps build gray matter in the brain. And they did this study on three and four-year-olds where they either just listened to music or learned to play the keyboard. And it showed they had a 34% uh, growth over their peers and I thought that was incredible and so playing a musical instrument can help out your brain in a lot of ways it helps your eye-hand coordination which is actually kind of funny because I guess if you kind of thought as musicians as being like the opposite of having good eye-hand coordination but when you see musical notes and you have to convert that into uh, you know different movements with your hands or whatnot and incorporate the breathing and the rhythm into that it actually helps build eye-hand coordination it helps with your math skills a lot and so there's really a lot of positives into playing a musical instrument if uh, you have the extra time to pick one up you should definitely give that a try there is actually a fairly high correlation between musical training and neuroplasticity and this is according to some pretty thorough research that was done by Northwestern's Auditory Neuroscience Laboratory and here's a quote from Nina Cross who is the director who was a scientist that was working there in charge of this stuff an active engagement with musical sounds not only enhances neuroplasticity, but also enables the nervous system to provide the stable scaffolding of meaningful patterns so important to learning. The brain is unable to process all of the available sensory information from second to second and thus must selectively enhance what is relevant. Playing an instrument primes the brain to choose what is relevant in a complex process that may involve reading or remembering a score, timing issues, and coordination with other musicians. So what I'm gathering from that is that as you've probably heard before, music is based upon mathematical patterns and that people that are musicians are, uh, are, are conditioning their brains to be better at recognizing the relevant patterns that are out there in music and hence in life and in communication and that that enhances their ability of their brain to grow and adapt to the different challenges and the different you know patterns that your brain is experiencing in areas of life other than music so if you are a if you're a, a musical person then you should definitely uh, you should definitely continue your uh, your musical training while you're working on learning other different skills because it sounds like it's going to 
augment uh, your ability to pick those things up. Meditation is a key component to building neuroplasticity in the brain. In mainstream American culture, meditation is kind of a complete non-factor. It's almost never addressed in popular media, the news, or the classroom, and it actually is ridiculously good for your brain. So there are two main types of meditation, open monitoring and focused attention. Now, focused attention is where you concentrate solely on a single thing. And open monitoring is where you let your mind relax and free yourself from negative thoughts and just kind of be very mindful of like the experience that you're having. So I found that the people who do the most meditation are Tibetan monks. And so the meditator will focus on unlimited compassion and loving kindness towards all things. And the monks had much greater activity in the brain regions called the right and Sula and Kaudat, a network that underlies empathy and maternal love. They also had stronger connections from the frontal region to the emotional regions, which is the pathway by which higher thought can control emotions. In each case, monks with the most hours of meditation showed the most dramatic brain changes. That was a strong hint that mental training makes it easier for the brain to turn on circuits that underlie compassion and empathy. Also, with the monks, they found much increased gamma brain waves, and gamma brain waves are involved in higher mental activity and consolidation of information. So, another thing, kind of more in like mainstream American uh, medicine, is neuroscientist Helen Mayberg. She uh, was the one who found out that inert pills or placebos um, can be just as effective, helping people as regular pills which just goes to show the power of the brain so they did the study where they had these all these people who were depressed and so they had one group which was given uh, an antidepressant and then another group which was just given um, behavior cognitive behavior therapy and all of them uh, saw the same results even though some were getting drugs and some weren't so you have the power of your brain to really really control how how you feel if you can properly utilize it I just hi this is Jonathan with limitless mindset and I've got an interesting introspective question for you how would you rate your ability to remember the names of new people that you meet. If you're like most of us, you are probably not very good at it. I'm sure you've heard before how valuable it is to remember and use people's names. Remembering people's names will consistently make you more successful in business, social, and dating situations. I'd like to give you access to a four-part video course which will teach you in less than an hour a simple mental hack that master salespeople, politicians, and cult leaders use to remember limitless names instantaneously. The course has a $97 value, but as a listener of this podcast, you can access it for free today. To claim your free access to this video course, please visit LimitlessMindset.com. In my 
online research on the subject of neuroplasticity, I actually ran across several software programs that are created with the purpose of conditioning you to increase neuroplasticity, which I think is, I think is interesting because neuroplasticity is a pretty important part of becoming limitless. And so if there's some software out there, you know, if, if you're like a lot of people listening to this podcast, you probably spend a lot of your leisure time in front of your computer. Um, there's probably some people that listen to this podcast that also spend a fair amount of time doing gaming. So if you could spend some of that time, just a, a small portion of it, using some software that would increase your, your neuroplasticity, that would seem like a fairly good investment of, of time and, uh, and money spent uh, for me. So I ran across two programs. The first is a program called Fast Forwards, and this is by a company called Scientific Learning Corporation. And that is actually a company that Michael Merzenich, the neuroscientist that we mentioned earlier, founded. And on their website, they said that their neuroplasticity product is based upon 30 years of neuroscience research, which I believe, because Michael Merzenich has been studying uh, plat neuroplasticity for quite a while and I believe that their primary line of products is designed to help children uh, to help children that have issues with reading and with communication which I think is a is a great thing because that's something that certainly a lot of kids have problems with they do have a line of products called fast forwards for adults and I would certainly be interested in trying any product that was produced by Michael Merzenich because it sounds like he really knows his stuff when it comes to neuroplasticity, but the ad copy on their website described this as a product line that's more so for adults that have poor or underperforming learning language or listening abilities. It wasn't really described as something that would be for people like myself or people like uh, like the kind of people that I imagine listen to the Limitless Mindset podcast, which are people that are probably already have great communication abilities, fairly good learning abilities, but who really want to take things to the next level. Kind of, I guess, the, the sad irony here is that the kind, there are a lot of adults out there that need to improve their learning language and listening abilities, but those probably aren't the kind of people that would be out there looking for this kind of software. Um, And I also didn't see any purchase option on the Fast Forwards website for adults. All I saw was a note somewhere that there was a pricing package that was around $395, and I'm not even really sure exactly what that was for. So hopefully the uh, hopefully Michael's web developer will take another look at that site and maybe get it get it set up so that it's a little bit easier for people to find out about that product. Another software product that I found that I think I'm going to try is there's a website called IQ Mindware and they have three lines of products that start at around $30 and go up to about $60. And these products have actually a 
uh, IQ increase guarantee. And they offer a unique money back guarantee that if you do not achieve within 20 days of purchasing their product, if you uh, use their product for at least 20 minutes a day, you will have a you will have a 10 to 20 point increase on IQ tests as well as a 40% increase in short term memory and that they also provide valid IQ and memory tests for free and so that sounds pretty cool it's a pretty reasonable price point so I'm actually going to go ahead and order some of that software and use it here for about 20 days and then post the results on the Limitless Mindset website and it, it's relatively inexpensive it comes with a money back guarantee so I'll post a link that the listeners of this podcast can go and check it out and if there's some other software out there that some of the people listening to this to this podcast have tried please shoot me an email with the information about it because I'd like to see what's available if you're wondering uh, what this software is entails it is a lot of game based stuff so it's a lot of uh, GUI graphical interface type environments where you'll have some type of activity that you'll be doing that is going to require a lot of memory or a lot of concentration or it's going to require some multitasking of things going on and so um, I'm going to do a, a case study on myself and hopefully some listeners of this podcast will participate as well to see what what type of results we get out of uh, out of some of these software options that are that are on the marketplace so we've talked a lot about things that help neuroplasticity but there's also things that limit neuroplasticity for instance if you don't get enough sleep that's that's not good for the brain at all which a million studies have shown that and you've been hearing since you were seven years old and also stress it turns out that one of the things that inhibits the growth of neurons in brain is stress. In effect, chronic, chronic stress limits neuroplasticity. And as a result, unrelenting, unrelenting stress can have a major impact on our mental health and influence a whole host of psychological disorders from PTSD to depression. So stay happy, stay healthy, and get your sleep. Yeah, cash money heroes. To connect with the Limitless Mindset community, along with a chance to win free neurotropic brain supplements and other awesome prizes, please give our Facebook page a like at facebook.com backslash Limitless Mindset. If you found this podcast to be informative and entertaining, Please give us a five-star review in iTunes or whatever podcast directory you are listening and write us a review letting us know what you think of the show. And remember that the best compliment we can ever hope to receive is you sharing the show with a friend. In the badass story for this episode, I'd like to tell you about an adventure that I had recently trying spear gun fishing for the very first time. So for those of you who might not know, spear gun fishing is when you go snorkeling or scuba diving and you have a pneumatic 
gun that you swim around and you shoot fish with and then you uh, go and put those fish in a basket and you take them back and eat them. So as you can hear in the background, I'm actually in Costa Rica right now, which is a pretty good place to go spear gun fishing and I met a snorkeling instructor who had a, uh, a spear gun, which was a, uh, a pneumatic gun, which is the kind of spear gun you see James Bond using in that old uh, movie, I'm going to say it was like Goldeneye that he used a pneumatic spear gun. So I met the instructor and we were spear gunning in this uh, place that, to be honest with you, seemed a little bit dangerous to me. We started by walking across these sharp, jagged rocks over to uh, by where the water was coming in. So it was kind of tricky navigating our way across these rocks with our, uh, with our snorkeling gear. So we, we got in the water and there, it was a real rocky area. This was not like a pristine beach like there's a lot of down here in Costa Rica this was a uh, this was an area with a lot of rocks and there's a lot of surf and tide and swells coming in over these sharp rocks and so we started swimming around now apparently this is a good place to go spear gun fishing because where there's a lot of rock formations directly under the ocean that's where a lot of the kind of fish that you want to hunt hang out at because they can hide underneath the rocks from predators like myself, <laughs> apparently. So it was uh, it was definitely a challenge because you would be swimming around and there'd be a lot of swells that were coming in that if you didn't keep a careful eye out, they'd go and you know take you and just smash you up against these these fairly sharp rocks. And I actually got pretty cut up uh, doing this, but it was a lot of fun at the same time. So you would swim around and try to avoid getting hit by rocks, and then you would uh, when you saw a fish, you would go and, and swim down and you would try to you would try to shoot the fish and it was uh, it was really exciting but it was it was challenging at the um, at the same time and my pneumatic gun I could not reload it while I was in the water so I uh, when after I would shoot it if I missed I would have to go and swim out to this little island that was close by where we were doing this and I'd have to go and climb up on the rocks on this island so I could go and apply enough pressure on the pneumatic spear gun to reset it. And this was challenging also because this island was this, this it really, when you think of an island, you think of, you know, a nice sandy little island. And this was really just a, a compilation of jagged rocks that were coming out of the ocean. So I had to go and climb up on these rocks while I was getting uh, hit by waves. And so that was, uh, that was challenging as well. So overall, it was a lot of fun. I would just recommend to anyone that's considering going spear gun fishing, you know, first of all, check out the place where you're going to go spear gun fishing before you go so that you don't end up going in some place that might be you know dangerous especially if you're not if you're not a very experienced swimmer a very experienced snorkeler um it could be it could be fairly dangerous to do it in a place like that and then also you know think about you know if you want to deal with all those uh, all those rocks but overall it was a lot of fun i definitely don't regret trying it and if anyone listening to this is ever in Dominical, Costa Rica, um, hit up a guy named Rama Antonio, and he'll show you a really good time speargun fishing. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Limitless Mindset Podcast.
legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.